Good evening. Good to see all you out tonight. Glad you're here with us. Yeah, I was wondering, did you come up here because of what Joe said last week about the lights? No, you may have forgotten. <laughs> I wondered why you were up here. Why you came here instead of staying down there. Uh, I'm somebody told me I need you. <laughs> I had a feeling. Well, I want to tell you, Kyle, from daylight till dark, that when these windows put off a little light, I can see okay. But when it's dark, now when it, daylight saving time kicks back in, we'll be good again for mm -hmm. all through the summer and everything. But when it's dark, I can't see that. <laughs> you know? So I, that's the reason I have to use it. But he, was, he sits over and says he struggles. So get up early and get a light. There you go. He did good. I lost a line tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, tonight is the last installment of our series on First and Second Thessalonians, and uh, I've, it's been a good study, and I've enjoyed going through the, these letters with you, uh, but I'm also ready to do something else too, so um, I'll come up with something for a couple weeks from now. Tonight's lesson is entitled, The Disorderly and the Idle, and it's very interesting to study this chapter, not just for what it says, but to study it in the context that it was written. We have to remember that the main theme throughout both letters is the eventual return of Christ. Many had spread rumors and were seemingly fixated on the subject. The Thessalonians were worried about what might happen. Paul wrote to them in an effort to provide comfort and encouragement regarding his return. It was not something that they should worry about. It was something that they should look forward to. And he gave them comfort in that area. And this theme is continued into chapter 3 of the second letter. Here Paul encourages work, not worry about these future events. He also gives guidance on how to handle difficult brethren. And we'll look at how these things apply. But keeping it in the context of, of how these letters were written and looking at the return of Christ and how they were seeing it, I think it brings a whole new meaning to this chapter than what we might otherwise get just by reading the chapter by itself. The first point that is made in chapter 3, or at least this portion of it, is withdrawal. How to withdraw from difficult brethren. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and beginning with verse 6 and reading through verse 9 it says this, But we command you brethren in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. As we read these verses, we might ask the question, who were the disorderly brethren? 
I want to go back to chapter 2 and notice verses 1 through 4. And this will help us understand who these disorderly brethren were. But in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. We talked about these matters in last week's lesson, I believe it was, or the lesson before that, I guess. But in verse 3, it says this. Let no one deceive you by any means. He encouraged them not to be shaken in mind, not to be troubled. Some had written letters as if from Paul, and, and some had stated that, that the Lord had already come, and, and they were wondering about these things. And he told them not to be concerned, but not to be deceived. Those who were disorderly, those that were mentioned in chapter 3, are those that are mentioned in chapter 2 as trying to deceive the Lord's church. Paul warned them that many things must first take place before this would happen. We also read in these verses in chapter 3 that the Thessalonians were to withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. As we read in verse 6. We also see that Paul and his companions had already set a good example for the brethren. They, on the other hand, as opposed to those who were disorderly, were not disorderly. They did not expect their brethren to provide for their every need, but worked while they were among them. They did not wish to be a burden to the brethren. We shouldn't take this the wrong way. A preacher is able to be supported by a congregation. And there were times where Paul was supported by a congregation. But in this instance, with the Thessalonians, he mentions his work. And that's going to come into uh, a, a great... It comes into play greatly in the next few verses of the chapter. But I wanted us to notice 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 3 through 18. A little lengthy, but... I think what he has to say here is very applicable to what we're studying tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning with verse 3. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles 
the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Verse 8, do I say these things as a mere man? Or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it all together for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written. That he who plows should plow in hope. And he who threshes in hope should be, a, be partaker of his hope. If we have some spiritual things for you, is, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve as at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. But I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things that it should be done so to me, for it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. For if I preach the gospel... I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, if I have a reward. But if against my will I have been entrusted with a stewardship, what is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not be abused, or that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. Though he and his companions had the right to be supported by the church and sometimes were, they did not wish to abuse it. At least Paul did not. In Thessalonica they chose to work as an example to the brethren. They are certainly not hypocrites when issuing the command for them to work. One of, the, one of the things that is mentioned in chapter 3 is withdrawal from those who are disorderly. Withdrawal from brethren is a difficult practice. Much hurt is caused when it is practiced within the church. But much harm can be done when it is not used as it should be. Withdrawal from someone as difficult as it may be, is practiced in love and hope of the return of a brother back to the right. Public withdrawal from public sin requires a solid leadership, willing to stand for the truth no matter what it costs. Following Scripture is more important than the hurt feelings that may be caused by withdrawing from someone. 
It's a difficult thing that Paul mentions here. But it is some, something that is sometimes necessary within the Lord's church. Then we get into verses 10, and tw- 10 through 12. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 beginning with verse 10. And here we see where we have the command to work. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Congregations often face the difficult decision of whether or not to support someone in need. We've had that happen a lot. We have people come in that appear to be in in need. Sometimes it's a legitimate need and sometimes it's not. And we have to make a decision on whether to support them from our pantry or or from the money that, that we receive from our members. It's a difficult decision to make. Many times we are deceived by those that are willing to lie for profit. Congregations should not be seen as wrong entirely for refusing to help someone that they know to be guilty of deceit. One of the things that we have to understand as a congregation is that we are to be good stewards of what we've been given. We are to take care of of what we have received. However, erring on the side of caution when unsure can certainly be understood. Brother Kirk and I had a conversation not too long ago in helping someone. I remember him saying that it may seem naive, but you know, we'd rather be guilty of helping someone who didn't need it than to not have helped someone that did. It's a difficult thing to know, but, but certainly we see the command and we see the reason for the command that Paul gives that everyone who is able should work. Paul, willing to work while in their presence, set an example for them. When he commands them to work and be busy, they should remember his own willingness to work among them. Remember, he was a tent maker. He, he worked where, almost wherever he went. He worked so that he would not be a burden to the congregation. One of the things that we understand about not working is that it leads to things that are are wrong. Not working leads to idleness. And idleness can lead to other things such as gossip. And those things should not be in the church. We know the, the dangers of idleness. We have other examples in Scripture. I think of David as probably one of the one of the most prominent examples of idleness. David had idle time. He wasn't on the battlefield with his men. He was at home. And being idle, he wandered upon the roof of his house and he could see a woman bathing and it we know what it all led to. Adultery, murder, the death of a child. 
Idleness can lead to things that are wrong, and certainly gossip is among them. And this was not to be in the church. This was not to be so among the brethren. In regard to the support of widows, we read this in 1 Timothy chapter 5, beginning with verse 11. <clears throat> 1 Timothy 5, beginning with verse 11. But refuse the younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. Therefore I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak repro repro reproachfully. And in regard to suffering and persecution, we read this in 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning with verse 14. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part He is blasphemed, but on your part He is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. <clears throat> the gossip of the day in, in this letter to the Thessalonians now included matters of the return of Christ and was causing a particular problem for the brethren. And this also was not to be so among them. And in verses 13 through 15 of 2 Thessalonians 3, But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person, and do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. First of all, they were not to become weary in doing good. Keep going. Keep doing good. Keep doing those things that you need to be doing. Those who did evil were to be withdrawn from. But not out of hate, but in love. That again, they might realize the error of their way and repent. And one of the things that, that I notice here also is that those withdrawn from were not to be counted as enemies. Although it would be very easy to do so. And again, that goes back to the attitude that we have in withdrawing from someone. Do we have the attitude of hate or do we have the attitude of love? But they were not to be counted as enemies, but were to be encouraged and corrected as a wayward brother. There's a way to withdraw and there's a way not to withdraw. And certainly we should do so in accordance with Scripture if we have the need of doing that. And finally, verses 16 through 18 of 2 Thessalonians 3. Now may the Lord of peace Himself give you peace always 
in every way. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. This was an actual letter from Paul in opposition to the letters that had been written that, that seemed to come from Paul or, or maybe one of the others that seemed to write truth. This was an actual letter from Paul. And he makes clear mention of that. That it was signed by him personally. Not someone who was trying to deceive him. They were to believe and put into practice the things that he had taught them. These words are, are words that he often uses in his letters. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And so I leave you with these words as we close this lesson, as we close this series. May the Lord be with you also. I don't know where you stand tonight in your relationship with Christ. Maybe you're a child of God. Maybe you're not. Maybe you need to obey the gospel. Maybe you need to repent. Confess Christ. Be baptized for the remission of sins. Maybe it is that you need to come in repentance. Rededicating your life to Him. Asking for prayer or for forgiveness for something that you've done. But if there's anything that is amiss in your life, if for some reason you're not in Christ tonight, please come as we stand and as we sing.